Good to be with you all. Is the microphone on loud enough? Is that good enough? All right, good. All right, well, hey, morning, fellas. How are you guys doing? Congratulations, you're awake. Uh, if you're new, just reminder of the ground rules. If at any time your coffee runs dry, we got coffee in the back, just go get more. I won't be offended and I won't say sit down or be scared by your movement. Now, if you like slam a book on the table and then walk out in a huff, then, then I'll be like, wow, that guy's got issues. But I won't take it personal. I'll just judge you if you do that. So I kid, I kid. It, I don't know about you, but um, this is fast becoming like my favorite point of the week. I look forward to Thursday morning. I just, I love gathering together with you guys, getting to know you, getting to know your stories. And just, just the fact that you're here says a lot about not just like faith interest type of stuff, but even how serious you take being uh, a godly man, you know, being a, a, a kind of guy that is worth, uh, worth uh, emulating and uh, the kind of guy that gives back to others. That's a big deal. So uh, congratulations for sort of being here. And uh, I'm excited to see what God does in and through this thing of Man Challenge. You know, if you uh, were here in the past weeks, and don't worry if you weren't, uh, you can go online, you can catch the podcast of the past. But we've been talking about different key characteristics of what does it mean to be a godly man. And uh, one of the characteristics we talked about was leader. Last week, we talked about brother. And this week, we talk about the characteristic of warrior. And this is a third key characteristic. The way we defined it a few weeks back, but we'll continue to define it this way, is a warrior, unlike the way our culture uh, defines warrior. You know, I don't know about you, I like action movies. Judge me for it. I'm sorry, but I like action movies. Uh, I won't out him, but Michael Foster there loves the John Wick trilogy. I think that's violent and terrible, but, but don't kill that man's dog or steal his car is all I got to say about John Wick. But uh, that's sometimes in our culture, like, that's a warrior, some guy that can take you out and down. Not necessarily. A warrior has a, a lot more altruistic value to his characteristics. He's a defender of the right, champion of the cause. The warrior embraces risk because it's always a risk to be a warrior, but for the right reasons and in the right manner. I mean, there's some guys that are just combative. They're not warriors. There's other guys that um, they're physically intimidating. Remember when you were growing up, the bully, that kid? Don't you wonder where he is now? He's probably a loser. But it is in your childhood, that kid who was always the, the pushy and the strong, that's not a warrior. That guy had other things going on. But you could be a warrior and physically not be able to bench press 20 pounds. You could be a warrior and by the world's definition, not look like a former Navy SEAL or a current Navy SEAL. A warrior is just a champion of the cause. That cause probably is of spiritual or relational value. And the warrior embraces risk because it always does involve risk. That's kind of one of the key characteristics of the whole deal, is if there's no risk involved, probably the warrior doesn't have to show up. But it's in those risk moments that the warrior has to show up and then embraces the risk not just to prove something, not because he's got dad over his shoulder or the ghost of dad over his shoulder telling him how to behave, but he does it for the right reasons, and he does it in the right way. That's one of the other pieces of a warrior. A warrior can act, and if you do it in the wrong way, you could just be a a tyrant or a bully. And in fact, we even talked about that. The extreme distortions of a... Well, got the wrong thing in there. I apologize. 
Well, let me just say, the extreme, the extreme uh, distortions of a warrior is on one side, if he's checked out, is sort of a pretender. And then an extreme uh, distortion on the other extreme is a destroyer. So a, a warrior who acts in an unbecoming way either powers up, becomes very verbally violent or physically violent. That guy's a destroyer. All right. I stepped ahead and you quit listening to me because you got to see step one already and you started filling in the blanks. So uh, I won't back up, though. When we talk about warrior, we're always talking about barriers. We're always talking about giants in our life, challenges in our life. That's when the warrior has to show up. Warrior doesn't have to show up when there is no challenges. And uh, the question for you is, what have been the, the giants of your life, the big, tough situations or people in your life? And as you, as you think about that, I, always, I come back to one of my favorite movies of my childhood, The Three Amigos. There's a scene in The Three Amigos when, uh, when Steve Martin's character is trying to rally the troops. He's got the town pulled together, and he's giving this rousing speech, and he's talking about facing life's obstacles. And he says, he says uh, for, for some, because he's talking about El Guapo who's coming, he says, for some, El Guapo. Uh, some poverty is their El Guapo. For others, illiteracy is their El Guapo. For others, the lack of a quality education is their El Guapo. Then he says, for us, El Guapo is a big nasty guy who wants to kill us. And we all face some sort of barrier, some sort of challenge. And so there's a great story in the Bible. It's one of the stories of all stories. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know David and Goliath. But it might be the ultimate, it might be the standard, if you will, of how to stand up to the tough situation, how to stand up to the bully. And so we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. And if you're very familiar with it, hopefully, as a result of us exploring it, you'll see some different angles to it that could help you in your day-to-day life. And one clue is you won't need any smooth stones and you will not have to sling them at anybody's head. So that was for David and Goliath. I would recommend not bringing rocks to work if your boss is a jerk. Just don't bring any rocks. All right. The story's in 1 Samuel 17, and here's what we read, starting, uh, starting right towards the beginning. Now the Philistines, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephens Damon. And by the way, if you ever read the Bible out loud and you have to read any of the old Hebrew words and you're like, Boy, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Here's some good news. Neither do we. Those words are all 3,000 years old. Anyone who says they know how to pronounce it is is fooling themselves. It's like listening to Shakespearean English. That does not sound like our English. So you can make up a word, by the way, as long as it's pretty darn close. So uh, they're over there in Damon, uh, between Sukkah and Ezukah, and Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and Drup. So they're on the other side. There's like a little valley between Philistines over here and Saul and his forces. The Israelites are assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. They drew battle lines to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. And this is pretty good natural defensive fortifications. Those guys over there to come over here are going to have to go down in a valley. And they're going to have to fight uphill. Fighting uphill is no fun. And therefore you can have the high ground. So no one wants to attack the other guy for really obvious reasons. And then verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits. You know how tall that is? 
It's tall. Yeah, it's nine feet if you, if you have a Bible. It's somewhere in there. And what we don't know, just for the record, what we don't know is are they using a, 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 an idiom, uh, like saying that guy's like nine feet tall and bulletproof, like a country song, or is he literally someone got a tape measure out? He's tall. Is he nine feet tall? I'm not going to go to the map for that. He stood out. He was ginormous. That's what he was. He was really big. His height was six cubits and a span. Not just six, but six and a span. That's tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That is a lot of shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze, bronze greaves, like uh, just think soccer pads, you know, for the kids, shin pads. On his legs, he wears this, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. That's thick. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Again, lots of shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath, Goliath is huge. That's, that's what the author is trying to communicate. This guy is a sight to behold. And this is not an era where people wore armor. This was an era where a lot of the soldiers were farmers and tradesmen and whatever. This is not an era of professional soldiers. Don't picture Roman legions with all of their regalia. Picture a bunch of farmers who are ticked off and fighting for their stuff. That's who's on either side of the battle line. But there are a couple guys with armor, and Goliath is one of these guys. His, his uh, armor weighed about 125 pounds. The spearhead's 15 pounds. You can imagine it wasn't meant for tossing very far, but when it hit, you weren't getting back up off the ground. That was that. And so uh, he had a, a helmet in an era when really no one wore a helmet. He was really like a weapon of mass destruction. He was like the original WMD, if you know that term. And he's called the champion of the Philistines, but the, the word champion in the old language means the, the, the man of the in-between. In other words, he's so strong, he alone can stand between two opposing forces. He's that kind of guy. He's sort of like Thanos in uh, modern Marvel kind of vernacular. And every day... Goliath would go out, and he would trash talk the Israelites. He would stand out, and that was the kind of courage this guy had. He would stand out towards the, the valley, and he would be up at these guys yelling at them. They were too afraid to even throw spears at the guy. They were, they were afraid to, throw, to shoot arrows at the guy. That was the kind of intimidation that Goliath had. And, uh, and to make matters worse, there is only one guy of physical stature in the Israelite camp, that the way the scriptures describe him would be the natural guy to step out from the forces and go, I'll take you on. And he's hiding out in his tent. He's Saul, the king. When we're first introduced to Saul, this is earlier in 1 Samuel, this is how Saul's described, 1 Samuel 10. They, they, uh, they ran and brought Saul out, and he stood among the people, and he was, this is 1 Samuel 10, 23 and 24. You don't have to look it up. You can make note if you like. But it says he, he, he was a head taller than any of the others. He stood out. He was physically a specimen. And Samuel said to the people, do you see the man the Lord's chosen? There's no one like him among the people. And so you can, I just picture, this isn't in the Bible. I'm sort of making this up, but this is in my imagination. That Saul, King Saul's walking around checking on the troops and the guys are around the campfire and they're like, man, if only we had a really tall Strong guy that could take on their really tall, strong guy who, who had maybe a armor, a helmet, 
a sword only, only if we had that guy. As Saul walks up with his armor and his helmet and his sword towering above his troops. I don't know if it dawned on Saul or anybody else there that the guy God called to defend his people isn't doing a very good job of defending his people. So meanwhile, the story kind of returning to the story about 12 miles away from all of the action in a little town called Bethlehem, there's a young runt of the litter, David, and David is tasked with his dad to take meals to his brothers. There's no uh, MREs, meals ready to eat for the troops. If you wanted to eat, your parents or your family or your friends had to bring you food on the battle lines. There's no quartermaster department. You might occasionally get lucky and get some bread or some lambs out of the deal. But if you were a soldier, you're not, it's not a professional military here. And so David is tasked with that, hey, take your brother some food and take some, take some food to the quartermaster so that uh, it'll go well for your brothers. And so David does. He goes, he, but he drops off the food, and he goes amongst the front lines to see the battle and to check on his brothers. But really, he's, what do, he's doing pretty what every 15-, 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid would do. He wants to see some action. This is action movie time, and so he wants to go see it. And he sees the giant, and he begins to ask questions. And you can read the whole text, but his brothers catch him, and they give him grief because they're like, who do you think you are asking questions about this? But nobody apparently is talking about it because murmuring gets to the king, and the king calls for David. And he's like, hey, there's a guy asking about Goliath. Maybe we got our first victim. I mean, first defender of truth. Get him into my tent. And so the story begins to unfold. And uh, as you might suspect, based upon your note page and this wonderful first slide, we're going to look at five steps to embrace that warrior. When, When there's a challenging time, how do we step up and embrace the warrior that we all could have? And the first step is to acknowledge the physical reality of the situation. Acknowledge the physical reality of the of the situation. David, uh, this is uh, verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? I love the boldness. We are told he's young. We don't know how young, but he is not an old, aged veteran of many wars. He is a kid. He says, "Who's gonna? what's going to be done to, for the guy that kills the Philistine and remove, removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? A few years ago, uh, a team of archaeologists found like a graveyard of Philistines. And what's interesting is historians still debate where they came from. Because when they show up on the scene, they show up with equipment and artifacts that uh, weren't natural to that area. Some say they came from Macedonia or Greece or that area. That might make sense. That may be where they come. They're doing DNA testing to try to figure out where on earth literally did they come from. As a kid, when I read this story, I just pictured Klingons. Remember? Klingon, the old Star Trek. I don't mean like Star Trek Next Generation Klingons, but the old original. They just looked a little bit weird, but they would show up out of no place, and they were fearsome, and it was scary when they showed up in an episode. They're like, what are they going to do? The Klingons are mean warriors in and, and the, uh, the Starship Enterprise. They're nice people. Occasionally they have to use photons, but mostly they're just are there to explore stuff, you know. And that's how I pictured the, the, uh, the, the Philistines. is sort of like that. But David... When he opens his eyes, he, he takes stock of the reality of the situation. There's an enemy that was a threat. He recognizes they don't share the same faith. They're the uncircumcised, and therefore they did not enjoy God's protection or blessing. 
And he recognized to allow such a person to scare the Israelites, it was a disgrace. It was a, nas- it was a national embarrassment. And this is important for us to even just acknowledge as a step. It's because when, when we're in a situation, it's wise to acknowledge the reality of the situation. It might be the physical barriers, but it might be something else. But it's the stuff that you can observe and see and go, this is a very real problem. Some guys will just pretend it doesn't exist. When they're faced with some sort of challenge, some sort of giant, they'll pretend it's not really there. Some guys will make jokes and minimize it. You know, they'll, they'll employ some humor and they'll kind of they'll throw it aside. But, but it's a very real problem. And for David... David was honest. Well, that leads to step number two, is recognize the spiritual reality of the situation. Now, this one's way tougher. It's easy kind of go, hey, that guy doesn't like me, and it's kind of mutual. I don't like him either, but I got to figure out a way to work with him because he's my boss, or he runs a project that is uh, needing to partner with my project, or I need to partner with him, and so there's that physical reality. That's easy to see. We don't get along. He's a jerk, whatever. But there is a spiritual reality that is harder to recognize. And David sees this. This is in that last part of uh, 20, verse 26. David says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the emphasis isn't on the Philistines' undercarriage of Catch My Drift. The emphasis here is on God. Goliath isn't taking on the Israelites. He's taking on God. And in Some, though not all, of the giants or challenges we face have a heavy spiritual undertone. And it's up to us, through the power of the Spirit, to figure that out. The Apostle Paul, this is written centuries after this incident between David and Goliath. He writes this, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. You could just write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. These are Really important verses for every man to have in his arsenal. Paul says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The Old English says they are not carnal. In other words, they're not a physical manifestation. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, we wield some strength, some power through the power of God to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so what, what Paul was hinting at, he's writing this to the Christians living in the town of Corinth. And Corinth had like the money of New York City and uh, the morals of Las Vegas and the showy pretentiousness of Southern California. I mean, it was all in one place. If you wanted sin, they had like the A-plus level of sin in Corinth. And so what Paul was addressing is, yeah, there's the stuff you see But there is a spiritual undercurrent in the town of Corinth that is both out to get you, but you should be out to get it. You you should be prepared to do battle with it. Now the question is, how how does that eke into our lives? What are some of the spiritual realities of our life that we are not always tuned into? It is football season, which also means it's Viagra season, or Cialis season, or something of a, you, you can't watch ESPN or a sporting event without in some way, shape, or form, there is something that you are being sold. And if you've ever noticed in the um, Viagra commercials or the Cialis commercials, it isn't who ought to be taking it. It isn't some sweet old grandma and grandpa on the couch like, you remember when? 
Let's pop a pill, honey. You know? That is how it's supposed. No, no, no. It's some dude. And a woman comes out of um, ambiguous age that might be a little too young for him, and she's coming out in all silkiness. And he's like, shoot, man, I need a pill for that. But what are, they, what are we being sold? You're watching football. You're just watching a game. And then all of a sudden you're like, sex sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> and you were happy and content with a football game with guys clobbering each other. And now all of a sudden you're thinking thoughts. You're like, man, I was just watching football. I didn't mean, I don't want to think about that right now. But thanks to that commercial, that's what I'm thinking right now. That, my friends, isn't just a physical reality. That is a spiritual reality. We are constantly being marketed to or sold to. You go on, you go on to uh, you know, Google and you're just looking up new lawnmowers. And for some reason, people associate lawnmowers with women in bikinis or something off to the side. And you, all of a sudden, you get banner ads. It took me a long time to realize you can hit X and eliminate it and tell Google I find that offensive. So now, now I don't get those. Uh, but but you, you still will get this stuff. And you go, where is this coming from? Oh, that's right, because we don't live in a physical world only. We live in a spiritual world as well. And so for, for David, he recognized that they were fighting in a spiritual battle. Well, there's a third reality here. Connect God's past provision. If you want to embrace the warrior, you want to have the courage to stand up. You have to connect God's past provision in your life or the lives of other people with his current capacity. In other words, it really, really helps if we go, God is capable because he's already done this for me or for my friend of helping through this situation. And it's the same God today as it was yesterday and the day before. It's still the same God. His past provision is still true. So David, this is amazing. David plays connect the dots and to watch him do it is really remarkable. So Saul pulls him into his tent and he's like, hey, you know, no offense here, but you don't look like you're real strong and I'm putting you up in front of Goliath. Why don't you wear my armor? And the armor doesn't doesn't fit at all. And Saul's sort of trying to talk him out of it. At the same time, Saul's like, well, let's see what happens. You know, no one else is stepping up. And so David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go fight against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior since his youth. You are a youth. But this is it. So Saul sees what he sees, and then all he can do is see the problem. Here's what David says in reply. This shows a ton about David. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I don't know about you guys, I'd be like, hey, have a good meal. You know? I go to the zoo and I'm like, are these fences secure? You know? There was a story in San Francisco, this is true, like 10 years ago, some guys were taunting a tiger. At the San Francisco Zoo, they were taunting a tiger in a cage. And that tiger got ticked off and jumped out of its cage. And that that was news to everybody who worked at the zoo, the head of the zoo. They thought, tiger can't get out of the cage. Tiger thought, I just need motivation. (laughs) That tiger, you can look the story up, it's fascinating. That tiger marked those guys and stalked them. They walked by other people. Other people were like, remember, I was your friend. And uh, anyhow, that's terrifying. David's like, hey, when the lion came into the fold, grabbed a sheep, I went after the lion. And when the bear did it, I went after the bear. I seized to get this. I, I went after it. I 
struck it and I rescued the sheep. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Now, that's a John Wick moment right there. If you've ever seen an action movie, you've never seen an action hero grab like a bear by the hair and then take it out. I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Doesn't matter about the Philistine. I've taken out lions. I've taken out bear. And David makes this uh, connection. And for some of us, what we have to do is do some past reflection. That might help. Reflect on how God has revealed himself to you. Reveal how, uh, look back and reflect how God has provided for you in a clutch. Uh, Look back and see how God's given you uh, courage or stamina or strength or whatever. But that that is very likely something that would help because as you, I, I do this on a regular. I think to myself, well, God has really taken care of me here or here. Some of you guys know my story. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. There's like the wrong side of the tracks. I grew up south of that. And so I grew up, uh, Malcolm X's boyhood home, the historical marker was just around the corner from my house. It was, uh, he was, lived there like 40 years before me. It was a bad neighborhood when he lived there, bad neighborhood when I lived there. It's a tough, tough part of town. And I went to a school where I was scared of the girls. And I don't mean because they might flirt, but they might beat me up. There were some tough girls in that school. And I am not being dramatic. There was a girl that I was like, oh, you know, I would, like, avoid that entrance because she would sit there and she would intimidate people as they came in. She once said to me, what are you looking at? And I was like, nothing. You calling me nothing? Uh, no, ma'am, uh, sir. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I scurried up the steps. I was terrified of that woman. And, uh, and uh, so, anyhow, I got a little sidetracked there. Um, here's what I know, though. God got me through that. God saw me through that. I'm still alive. I'm still standing toughened me up, made me the person, it, it contributed to the person I am. I, come, I, I, don't, I don't enter too many situations where I'm too scared about it because I'm like, well, at the end of the day, the conversation might be tough, but no one's going to punch me in the face. This is going to be a good day. <laughs> it's going to be a good day. Ministry can be tough. Some of you know that. Some of you would be surprised to learn that, but I'm like, you know what? No one has tried to stick me with anything. It's good. It's good. It's all good. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but you, you look back on your life and you're, you have a different story than mine, obviously, but, but God's seen you through stuff. And so to connect the dots of that past provision, go, you know what? God saw me through it then. He'll see me through it now. He'll give me strength for it. And David did that. We read David's story and we're like, man, that's high drama. I would never be able to take out a bear or a lion. Maybe, but maybe you had your own bear and lion moment where God gave you the strength for a situation where you stood up for yourself or, you, or you, uh, you were able to accomplish something and you look back and go, like, through God I was able to do that. And so that gives you strength. So that is step three is connect God's provision with God's current capacity. And then there's step four. Give God credit for the victory. Give God credit for the victory. I, I love it. David steps out on the battlefield with a stick, a sling, and a few smooth stones. That's it. The Philistine steps out with all the stuff he's got. And uh, says David, he says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Pretty big, tough talk for a guy who's about to go down. Verse 45, David 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me. This is really key here. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head and crap in your dead skull. Oh, hey, sorry, that was, in a, that was in the movie Few Good Men. I used to read this story to my son when he was a little guy, and I would always insert that part. He was very disappointed to find out that's not in the Bible. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that there is know that it is by not by sword, it is not by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. And if you count the number of times David references God, I count at least seven in that that section right there. You just look at verse 45. David says, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. Use that line with your boss at work today at some point if he really steps on your toes. You say, I'm coming against you with the Lord Almighty. No, don't do that. I'm totally kidding. Don't do that. But... What he does is he says, you know, you're trusting in, in your size, Goliath. You're trusting in your equipment. And I, David was good with a sling. I mean, Dave, what David could have done is like, look, I, I killed lions and bears. I'm, a, I'm about to kill this guy. But he's right to, to look at the assets. And he's able to say, Goliath, you have stuff, but God, God is far more powerful than any of your stuff. And God's going to smoke you is basically in the modern English is what he would say. And there's a really interesting verse. In 46, it says, This is the day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And that is a very fair way to translate it. That is true. But in the old language, in the old language, it's, it's, it's grittier. It's, it's beautiful. David says in the old language, God will enclose you in my hand. So think about it. Goliath goes, Well, you're sending a dog out, a little puppy? You're sending out some tiny little thing? I'm going to kick this thing to death. And David's response isn't, hey, I might be small, but I'm powerful. David's response is, God is going to make you so small, into the palm, you'll fit in the palm of my hand, and I will crush you in the palm of my hand, in the old, old language. Isn't that lovely? That's good. That's some trash talk right there. That's like literary trash talk. That's Shakespeare type of trash talk. <laughs> that the guy's so dumb, he doesn't realize it's trash talk, which is just really gratifying. But what, what, why that matters, I think, is... David says something, and I don't know if he meant to say it, but for us, the message is clear. God can make big things very small. The big obstacles can become very small. And while we look at it and go, that's insurmountable, it could fit in the palm of our hand. It's just through the power of God that that's possible. Not through our strength, but through his strength. The uh, early leader of the church, Paul, he wrote this. This is back in 2 Corinthians, another section. This is chapter 12, verse 9. He says, um, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And Paul regularly, he talks about his weakness. He acknowledges his LinkedIn profile. He was a pretty sharp guy, but he was very quick to say, I'm not that smart. I'm not that gifted. I'm actually quite a weak, weak person. But through my weakness, God is strong. And so uh, David, David, though, is doing something more than giving God credit, like, uh, like how a 
football player that doesn't live for God the rest of the week points to God in the end zone. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's that guy, and I'm like, yeah, that's nice. Maybe do that on Monday through Saturday too. But, uh, <laughs> but, but he's doing more than that. He's not doing the God victory dance and doing any sort of trite cliche. He's doing something more important. He's teaching, he's teaching the guys behind him. The, the guys behind him were part of the crew that said, we want a king. And even though God said, you don't need a king, they said, we want a king. And so God gave them Saul. And they said, we want a king like everybody else who will protect us. So God gives them Saul. Is Saul doing a very good job of protecting them up till this moment? Saul's doing a lousy job of protecting the people. Is Saul a spiritual leader of the people? Not so much. And so what David does, what David gets right, is he communicates loud and clear, not just this direction, but behind him, God's got this. And that's important for us, too. It's a subtlety in the text. But we all serve in areas where we have influence. It might be in our homes. It might be at work. It might be among friends where, where we have an opportunity to teach in different directions what God has taught us, where we have an opportunity to be a, a role model, but in teaching even ourselves the truth and expressing our, uh, the truth so that we sort of remind ourselves of the truth, we're also expressing that in different directions. We have influence in different directions. Well, before our time evaporates here, step five. Step five, David shows us nothing. Deepen your faith as you see God at work. David, David could have run to Saul's tent, collected the reward. The reward was a woman, one of Saul's uh, daughters. So he becomes a prince-in-law to the king and some other uh, nice things. He could have collected all that, high-fived all his brothers and said, man... You guys were all wrong. I am the champion warrior. Someone write a song about this. They later do. We already covered that. But David, David never forgot the lesson from the lion and the bear. He recognizes, yeah, I, there's no real good reason I should have been able to do that. Only through the strength of God who lives in me. And so as a result of this, this is one of the really remarkable pieces of David's life. He is able to connect all these dots. And even though, as we see in his life, he is far from a perfect man. We're not to emulate everything he did. What he does very well is stays tuned enough with God that even when he steps out of line, and we'll cover that next week, even when he messes up, he is able to go, I need God close. God is the author of my faith. He is the only reason I'm where I'm at. And so my job is to trust him. And so as you look at this one, when, when you get through a situation Allow it to deepen your faith as you see God at work. Now, just for the record, some of those situations involve what the world might call loss. We might step into a situation and not be the victor and not do a happy dance. But what happens is you get through it, you might lose. You might lose a position. You might lose income. You might lose some relationships. You might be on the world's end loss, but you persevere. You have a strength of character. You have a new confidence. You have actually a sort of brazenness about you. They go, you know what? It feels good to do what's right. Even if I didn't win that situation, I, I hold my head high because my integrity, my character's intact. And as a result, you go, thank you, God. And your faith deepens, not through victory only, but through some of those tough, tough defeats. So as you turn to your table, there's a lot to cover there's some handful of questions. Don't feel the need. I say this every week. Don't feel the need to conquer every one of those questions. If something like happens amongst the questions and you grab hold of them, enjoy them. 
and camp out on those questions. And in about 17 minutes, I will call it and we'll be dismissed for the morning. And if you want to stick around after that, you can a little bit, but go to your table. You got a little bit of time to discuss.